The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. You got your Bibles, you can look in John 19 this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 19. As we behold the man together, and want to remind you, as Brandon uh, mentioned, our workers this time, he's got some great resources for how you can pray for our workers and, and get to know them. So you can email Brandon through the church website if you'd like to learn more about that. You know, navigating difficult times can be pretty tricky. And every so often, we're navigating Waters that remind us of our frailty, and that was the case in April of 1912. Who could have imagined? I mean, this ship was as strong as she was beautiful, 882 feet long, the most technologically advanced watercraft of our time. She had 16 distinct compartments in her hull, and they could all be sealed off so that the captain estimated that a quarter of them could be filled with water and the ship would still float. But 400 miles off the coast of Newfoundland, the Titanic and its crew and everybody aboard learned something different on the night of April 14th. What they learned was that they weren't prepared for what they were about to strike. They spotted an iceberg, but by the time they saw the iceberg, it was too late. They tried to veer away from it but it scraped along the side of the hull, opening up five compartments, and in less than three hours, the ship was fully submerged and 1,500 lives were lost. See, before the Titanic took its voyage, its captain Smith said, I cannot imagine a condition in which this ship would flounder. I cannot conceive of a vital disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. See, the Titanic is a lot like humanity. We have a great propensity for underestimating our own inabilities, and when we do, it is costly. The captain had been warned. Thomas Andrews, who was the managing director of the shipyard that built the Titanic, said at my first meeting, I put red marks all over the blueprint. I kept thinking, here's a man who wants me to build him a ship that's going to be sunk. We're sending gilded eggs out to sea. Thomas Andrews went on to say, I know this isn't scientific, but this ship is warning me that she's going to die and she's going to take a lot of people with her. See, the Titanic was a beautiful creation, but those at the helm literally didn't listen to the warnings of the one who created the ship, and it was costly. God created humans beautifully and wonderfully. And when those first humans, Adam and Eve, didn't listen to the words of their creator, when they didn't trust the God who lovingly made them for his glory and for their joy, it was costly. They were created beautifully, but then they fell. And there are these four words that we talk about a lot at TBC. Creation, fall, redemption, and glory. Creation is the way that things should be. God made the world good and it was beautiful and wonderful, but then the fall occurred. Adam and Eve sinned. They listened to the voice of the serpent instead of to the voice of God. They trusted the deceiver instead of their creator. And when they did, we got the way things are, broken, not the way they're supposed to be. 
Then there's redemption. That's the way things can be in Christ. Jesus offers redemption through his blood. And then there's glory. That's the way things will be for all who are in Christ. One day there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more isolation and fear. There will be no more disease. If you've been here a while, you've heard our team speak of these things. You heard of Gary speak of these things. Gary's good friend, Stuart Briscoe, when he would come and talk to us, he would speak of these things. And right now, we live in the midst of the fall, the way things are. And see, as we behold Jesus today in John 19, it's precisely when he is at his most vulnerable, it's precisely when he seems so far away from the ability to save, right then and there, Jesus is actually accomplishing our salvation. He saves us by taking our place, by becoming our substitute, and as he does, I want to talk about four things this morning that that he does when he becomes our substitute. He atones for our sin. He declares us righteous. He redeems our lives and he restores our relationship with God. So let's start reading in John chapter 18 and we'll go into John chapter 19. This is the day that Jesus is going to be crucified. He's been questioned by the Jewish leaders. Peter has denied Jesus. And then he goes before Pilate. And Pilate really says to the the Hebrew leaders, take him and judge him for yourselves. And then the Jews say in John 18, 31, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Verse 32 said, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show about what kind of death he was going to die. And we see this over and over in the life of Christ. He has said that he will suffer at the hands of the chief priest and the scribes and that he's going to die. He knows it's going to happen. He said it's going to happen and the scripture is being fulfilled. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to himself and said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to you. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king, but for this purpose I was born And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says, what is truth? That's a question a lot of people ask today. But Jesus has already given an answer to this a couple of times. In John 17, when he prays to the Father, he says, sanctify your people in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so Pilate, he doesn't find guilt in Jesus. And he says, it's the Passover. I have this custom of releasing a prisoner. I can release this man or I can release Barabbas. Now, Barabbas... He was a robber, an insurrectionist. He is a great picture encapsulated in one man of the sinfulness of humanity. So it makes so much sense that the people would have said, crucify Barabbas, give us Jesus. But they say, not this man, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Chapter 19 says, so Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. He was beaten with this leather, leather whip of nine straps with bone and metal in it. And then soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. See, the Sunday before this Friday, 
The people are waving, this crowd of people, they're waving palm branches, declaring Jesus is king. And then just a few short days later, they've taken the branches of date palms with these massive thorns and they've made a crown and placed that crown on Jesus's head saying, hail the king of the Jews. And then they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said, see, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. They had put this purple sheet on him to show that he was the, quote, king of the Jews. And then Pilate said, behold the man, behold the man. See, this is happening on the sixth day of the week. Verse 14 of John 19 says it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And John wants us to know it's the sixth day of the week because John is the book of new creation. It is the new Genesis. See, Genesis starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then John starts in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and, and nothing has been made that wasn't made by him. See, John is a book of new creation. It's the new Genesis. In John 1 and 2, John actually walks through the first day of the week and the second day of the week and the third day of the week. In John 1, we're told that the word who was in the beginning, who created all things, the word became flesh, literally he tabernacled among us. That word tabernacle is a big word for the Jewish people. That's where the presence of God dwelt on earth. And what John is saying is now, as he made his dwelling among us, as he became flesh, he's the new tabernacle. He's the new temple. This is where the presence of God dwells. In the incarnation, we see that God is with us. And in the crucifixion, we're gonna see that God is for us. We're going to behold the man. It's a great Gospel Coalition article about Trevin Wax. It says, on a Friday morning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood before the people and Pilate declared, behold the man. It was the sixth day of the week, the day God created man, and now the second Adam was undoing the first Adam's sin. Adam was always meant to wear a crown, and now Jesus is wearing one. Adam had been sentenced to toil among the thorns. Now Jesus has these thorns twisted on his head. Adam was ashamed of his failure and sought to hide behind fig leaves. And now Jesus is wearing a purple robe as his covering, and he's hearing the taunts of the mockers Behold the man. See, Jesus is representing all of humanity as he is there, fully God and fully man. And Pilate says, behold the man. And Jesus is there for us. And he's our substitute. And he's our substitute in four ways that we'll talk about this morning. The first way that Jesus is our substitute is number one, he atones for our sin. He atones for our sin. He becomes our propitiation. We are told in Romans chapter three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, it's not just the story of Adam and Eve. It's not just the story of the Titanic. It's the story of our, our lives. We've tried to navigate the ice fields of life and we thought that we could do it on our own and we have failed miserably. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we have this proclivity to think that, you know, I'll be fine. My, my sins are not that many. 
But the reason that I believe that humanity is exceedingly sinful is not because of anybody else I know. It's because of me. It's because of what's in my own heart, what's in my own mind, my own actions that are carried out. And Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. He as our substitute makes atonement for our sins and it is costly. That word in Romans 3.25, propitiation, it's the Greek word hilasterion. It means to cover or to pardon. It's an offering for sins or a sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. That's what it cost, Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. That word propitiation, hilasterion, it's used in Hebrews 9 as well. In Hebrews 9, 5, it, it's telling about the temple where people would go and make sacrifices. The high priest would go and make sacrifices for the people. And there was the mercy seat. In the mercy seat, it says above, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. The Greek word for mercy seat is the same word for propitiation. It's hilasterion, and of these things we cannot now speak in detail. See, the mercy seat, a priest would go in once a year to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people, and he would sprinkle the blood of a lamb on the mercy seat so the people's sins would be atoned for. And God set Jesus forward as that lamb. He set him forward as the propitiation for our sins. See, Pilate says to Jesus later in, in John chapter 19, he says, do you not know I have the authority to take your life and I have the authority to save your life? And Jesus says in verse 11, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over has the greater sin. Jesus says in another place, no one takes my life, I lay it down of my own accord. He makes atonement for our sins. Behold the man, our substitute. He makes atonement for our sins and then second, he makes us righteous. If at home you've got your Bibles open, turn to Romans chapter five with me. Romans chapter five, he atones for our sins and then he makes us righteous as he becomes our substitute. Therefore, Romans 5, 1, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We've been made righteous. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, justification saves us and gives us peace with God, but in this moment, that's not all it does. There's such good news about our salvation, so hear it with me. Verse three, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. 
See, moments like these that we would never want to walk through. God takes these moments and in us, he produces endurance and character for those who are in Christ. He produces hope. And in this moment, maybe especially in this moment, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's you. He died for his enemies. He was on the cross as our substitute saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was finishing the payment for our sins. If you want to know what all of the sins of humanity look like on one man, you look at the cross of Jesus Christ where he's taking our sins upon himself and he becomes the sin offering for us and he makes us righteous. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. I can tell you as I read that and I put myself in a category, I think I'm in that category nobody's gonna die for. I'm not righteous, I'm not good. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, that is, been made righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He became our substitute to atone for our sins. He became our substitute to make us right with God. Behold the man. Then he became our substitute to redeem our lives, to buy us back. And as the, Israel, as the Israelites heard language like this, redemption language, it was a deliverance language. He became our substitute to atone for our sins. He became our substitute to make us right with God. He became our substitute to redeem our lives. They were redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says of Jesus that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So as the first century Jews would have heard this, what they would have heard is that there's a redemption that's greater than the slavery they experienced in Egypt. It's a redemption from slavery to their own sins. He buys them back. We have redemption. He pays the price for our forgiveness to bring us back into God's family. In Galatians, Paul says it to the church like this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He sent forth his son as a man. Behold the man, Jesus. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we might come into his family as fully fledged members of the household with an inheritance. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave to your sin, no longer a slave to the law, but you are a son and then an heir through God with all the rights and the privileges, all the promises of God 
for us are yes in Christ Jesus. So behold the man. He redeems us. He redeems us. He doesn't just atone for our sin. He doesn't just make us right with God. He doesn't just redeem us. But then the Bible tells us that he reconciles us. Go back to Romans 5 with me. He reconciles us with God. If we've been justified freely by his grace, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? Paul asked in Romans 5, 9. And then in verse 10, he says, for if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? He's reconciled us through his blood. We had a broken relationship with God and he's restored that relationship with God. We're reconciled through his blood. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've now received reconciliation. And so if we've received reconciliation, what does that look like for us? What does it mean to be reconciled with God? What does it mean to be brought back into his family? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. See, when Jesus is being crucified, he is bringing about new creation. So when John says, behold the man, we're beholding the man who will bring new creation, who will bring ultimately restoration, who will bring redemption from the fall. And what he does is he takes us and makes us into new creations. And as he makes us into new creations, we're told in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, as we behold the man, we behold a man who looks on a people who are helpless, trying to navigate the waters of life And as we tried to navigate them, we got into an ice field and we didn't realize how dangerous it is. And because of our own sins, we hit iceberg after iceberg and this ship is sinking. Our relationship with God is broken. See, Adam and Eve, when they took the fruit, they hid. They hid. And God says to Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I was hiding from you. He's hiding from the good and loving God who created him. And then God says, what have you done? What have you done? He didn't trust the father. He sinned against him. But here Jesus, as we behold this man, he's not hiding. Pilate brings him out in front of the crowd and says, behold the man. He's on full display for the father and all the world to see. Behold the new human who will reconcile. And what have you done? Well, Adam was deceived and hid and so tried to deceive God in his hiding. And Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And behold, the man who will bear witness to the truth by taking our sins upon himself. And he's making us new. He's turning us into new creations. 
and the old has gone away. And behold, new things have come. Verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This reconciliation comes through the blood of his son so that the sins of you and me are laid on Jesus and they were counted against him at the cross when he became our sin offering, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they're not counted against those who have trusted in him. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making this appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Behold the man, Jesus, who came to reconcile you and me to God, the one who created us, the one who brings us redemption. He came to reconcile us. In verse 21, it says, for our sake, for you and me in Central Texas, for our brothers and sisters across the world, for our sake, God made him to be sin. He became a sin offering. He took the full bore wrath of God on his shoulders He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Behold the man. Just like you and me, he was tempted. Just like you and me, he faced the challenges that we face, but he never sinned. He suffered as we've suffered so he can come to the aid of those who are suffering today. Behold the man so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. See, that that Trevin Wax article in the Gospel Coalition, it goes on to say, as the second Adam, Jesus fulfills our purpose. He is the true human. See, humanity was made to bear the image of God. But we've failed at that vocation, and now we bear the image of the man of dust, Adam. But one day we're gonna bear the image of the man of heaven who always bore the image of God. Humanity was to image God and that's what Jesus did, the true human. He, Hebrews 1.3 says, is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. See, he was the imprint of God's nature and the radiance of his glory. He fulfilled the vocation of humanity to give glory to God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus, he never did. He gave glory. Glory to the Father is the exact representation of his being. And he made purification for your sins and my sins. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs because Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. He is the second Adam and he fulfills our purpose. Just look at how the Jewish leaders seek to crucify him according to their law. God sentenced to death the sons of Adam for believing the lie of the serpent, but here the sons of Adam sentenced to death the son of God who tells the truth. He is the true human. Behold the man. Behold the man. See, there was a 
second ship in the water that night. There was a second ship in the water about two hours behind the Titanic. It was called the Carpathia. It was named after the Carpathian Mountains. Now, it wasn't as nice a ship as the Titanic. It was mainly for second and third class passengers. It didn't have the opulence that the Titanic had. It wasn't 882 feet long. It was less than 600 feet long. It could only hold two-thirds of the passengers the Titanic could hold. But two hours after the Titanic went through those waters, the Carpathia came and cries were heard and, and what started out as a cruise ship turned into a rescue mission and And over 700 people were saved, many of them on the Carpathia. The captain of the Carpathia was a man named Arthur H. Rostron. And Arthur Rostron, as they're making this rescue mission, they're circling through the waters and circling through the waters and day breaks. And as day breaks, the captain says, I saw the ice that I had steamed through during the night. See, there wasn't one iceberg. It was a field of icebergs and that cold, dark sea. When I saw the ice I had steamed through during the night, I shuddered and could only think that some other hand than mine was at the helm of my ship that night. See, when we are navigating the ice fields of life, if we try to do it on our own, we are sure to sink. We'll be in trouble before we know it. Because navigating the ice fields of life can be tricky. But behold the man, Jesus, who navigated this life. He became flesh and made his dwelling. He tabernacled among us and he lived the life that God intended for you and me to live. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. And and it's for you and me to behold the man who was beaten for us who wore a crown of thorns for us. He was up on that cross and in Latin and Greek and Aramaic so the whole world could see it said King of the Jews. See, he was accused of treason and blasphemy. And the irony in that is that the Jewish leaders had committed treason against God the King and they blasphemed God by saying Jesus wasn't him and he proved it by raising from the dead and a lot of people saw him that resurrected Christ. Behold the man. Behold the man. So at home today, I've got a couple of questions for you. One is have you actually beheld this man? Maybe you've been and gathered with a church a whole bunch or maybe in these last few weeks, you've started watching live stream and you've never come into the doors of a church. But have you ever beheld Jesus as your savior and as your king? Have you ever trusted him? Have you ever looked at life and said, I want my sins forgiven? So I don't know about you, but I, I want my sins forgiven. And Jesus died to forgive my sin and yours. So have you ever said to Jesus, would you take the helm of my life? Could I put my life in your hands? 
Would you forgive me? I want to trust you. You can do that today and have life in Jesus Christ, hope in Jesus Christ, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We've all experienced creation because we're here. We've experienced the fall because we all have fallen fallen short of the glory of God. But we can experience redemption and reconciliation for our sins in Jesus. If you experience that, you can do that. Parents, you're watching at home with your kids. And, And maybe you've never had discussions with them about what it means for them to own their faith. I can't think of a better place for a child to trust Jesus Christ than right with his or her mom or dad talking about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe today you would have that conversation with your children of what it looks like for them to trust Christ. If you do that, if you trust Christ, even as we socially distant from one another, we, we want to encourage you, if you trust Christ today, you're praying, receiving Christ today. Parents, you're helping your children to trust Christ today. Please email me or another pastor so we can help you begin the journey of walking with Jesus. See, it can look like this is the end of a journey, but really it's the beginning. Jesus' crucifixion, everyone thought was the end of a three-year campaign, but it was the beginning of new creation and still remains at the center of human history and redemptive history today. Have you trusted him? You can trust him. Behold the man. He's our substitute. He makes us right with God. He atones for our sins. He redeems us and he reconciles us to the Father. I want to pray and as I pray, maybe today you would pray with me or help your children to pray. God, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to put my life in his hands and trust him to save me. I don't want to just behold the man. I want to behold Jesus as my Savior and King. I want him to take the helm. God, I pray for us as believers that in this season where we look to Jesus who died for us, God, that we would behold the man and that we would rejoice in our Savior who died for our sins, who redeemed us out of slavery to sin who makes us right with you and reconciles us to you so that we are new creations and even ambassadors that would appeal to others to be reconciled to God. Lord, I pray for those who are trusting Christ today, who are talking to their children, maybe even now, about what it means to have a relationship with God. Would you use this moment that is a different sort of gathering for us? Would you use it to save people? God, would you use it to give life to people? And would you help us, God, as we move toward this week where we remember the crucifixion and where we remember your resurrection, God, would you give us a sure and steady hope that can't be shaken and can't be taken and can't be thwarted because you are God. And we thank you that you're God with us as we behold the man Jesus and we thank you that you are our God for us. And we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.